Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Good morning to every campus and from wherever you're watching online. Today is an exciting day because today we embark on a new series, which is a study in the book of 1 John. It's going to be fantastic. We're doing six weeks in this book and it's a really tiny book. So you might say, how on earth are we going to stretch out it to six weeks, Bron? Well, in 1985, John Piper spent 21 weeks in the book of 1 John. So in fact, we are moving through 1 John at breakneck speed. Put on your seatbelt. Here we go. You know, we're doing it in three ways. Our weekend messages will be in a certain topic uh, from the passage that we'll be examining throughout the week, verse by verse. And also, not only that, they'll be different in every location, but also uh, midweek we'll have going deeper studies which are based on that same passage, but a different section. Also, in addition to that, we'll have your daily devotion. So this time, 40 days in the book of 1 John is a great time to set up a habit that will set you up actually for the rest of your life. Daily time in the Word of God and daily time in prayer. All this will be accessible on the website, on the app, on social media. You will be able to find a way to access it if you can't speak to your location pastor and they would love to help you and help you get the most out of the book of 1 John. So firstly, who wrote 1 John? Well, it's one of two letters in the New Testament that don't directly state who wrote them and who they're written to, just this and Hebrews. And so people have suggested, well, that must mean that it's written to the Catholic Church, not the big C Catholic Church, but the little C, meaning all embracing the wider church. And it's true because it's written for us, but at the time it was written for a specific group of people, which you can see upon reading. There's specific issues that are being addressed. And so uh, this is written in, in a pastoral tone, loving and kind. They do get a little bit feisty when they have to bring correction, but it's not super disputatious or anything like that. It's more coming alongside and, and, hang, and, and compelling and come on guys, let's do this. Let's do this the way that Jesus wanted us to do it. It's encouraging and you're going to get so much encouragement out of it. And traditionally, it's accepted that it was written by the Apostle John. Some people say, well, no, there's too many differences between the Gospel of John and then this epistle and, and the others. But the early church fathers like Tertullian and Papias of Hierapolis, Clement of Alexandria and Arrhenius of Lyon, they all accepted that the same author wrote the Gospel of John, uh, the first letter of John, the second letter of John and the third letter of John and Revelations. Um, it's um, thought, well, you know, what about the differences? But there's so many similarities and of syntax and subject matter, even more so than the book of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which are clearly stated to be written by the same person. And it's an eyewitness account. And this is powerful. They're saying we were there. We heard the teachings of Jesus firsthand. And now we want to proclaim them to you. This is powerful stuff. Uh, how is it relevant to us today in the 21st century? Let me read you what John Stott said. This is powerful. He says, in our world, everything is changing. Nothing is stable. New nations are birthed. Social and political climates are ever evolving. And he says that um, this external instability are reflected in the world of the mind and the spirit. Even the Christian church, which has received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, which says that they're, they're claiming the one who are proclaiming the one who was the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, now often, and, and you know this is true, now often speaks its message softly, shyly and without conviction. Ouch. 
against this backdrop. To read the letters of John is to enter another world altogether. For its marks are assurance, confidence and boldness, certainty about Christ, certainty about eternal life. Come on, who doesn't want some of that certainty in a world that is so uncertain and to claim back that boldness, confidence, to speak and boldly proclaim the word of God and the truth in the uncertain world that we live in. We're gonna get so much out of this. And the overarching theme of 1 John is what this guy needs to hear. Um, what's the pay? Love. Just love. Car? How about our car? Love. Just love. Good morning, good morning to everybody in the room. It's good to see you in our 10 a.m. service. Uh, good to have everybody online, um, whichever locations are linking in, other gatherings of people, um, of course, the guys on the coast and people just online in their homes. Good to have you. We know that it's still our biggest um, church service, so welcome. It's good to have you this morning. Um, so we get started, just as a side note, uh, you know the guy, the love guy at the end there? Um, Bron and I were in a supermarket in Bondi Junction a few years ago, and he was in the supermarket. And uh, Bron and I somehow, you know, Bron was probably doing what we were meant there to do, and I've gotten distracted on something that I was interested in somewhere else. Anyway, she comes to me and says, Darren, Darren, look, I've got a photo of the guy from the dog ad. Um, and so she'd gone up to him and said, hey, you're the guy from the dog ad, aren't you? And, uh, the, you know, and he said, yeah. She said, can I get a selfie? And so they did. And I thought, I wonder if he's the least famous person to ever get asked for a selfie by some admirer. Uh, but Bron did, and we love that about my wife. And so there you go. That was a very important piece of info that you came to church for this morning. We're not going to move around, but why don't you stand with me for a moment. We're going to pray, and then we're going to get right into this as we go to 1 John. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for everybody in the room. Thank you for everybody online this morning in the room where they are. And, and God, I just pray that you would take these next few minutes together and, Lord, let, let the truth of the Word of God, the reality of Jesus, Lord, um, go Lord, a little deeper, a lot deeper in us today. God, we're here to firstly worship Jesus, and now we turn our sights to be um, shaped and changed, inspired and encouraged, Lord, by the Word of God. So we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you wave at someone and, and take your seat if you're in the room. So we're working through 1 John, and in these sessions, in this service, we're actually working through it topically. So if, if uh, you're going, well, that was definitely not working through the Bible, um, I know. Um, we're, we're going to teach or preach topically um, in a way I hope that helps you Monday. But as Bron um, referred to it, if you go to our website, there'll be teachings um, uploaded that or whatever, loaded, um, that work through the text. Um, there'll be going deeper studies. There'll be daily devotions. Everything is there for you to go deep. Uh, I don't know what your plan is. Um, my plan for next year um, is to um, uh, live by these three words. Let's do this. Well, I've already made them. I'm going to hit January going, let's do this. I'm done with COVID, not COVID constraints. I understand the necessity of them, um, but I'm done with COVID at least putting a hold on me 
And so let's do this. So I reckon, in spiritually speaking, why not start today? You're here. Why don't you tomorrow click on the readings? Why don't you do the devotions? Do the going deeper study, preferably with other people, but if not on your own, and let's really dig into the Word of God. As Bron said on the clip, um, I know she mentioned assurance, confidence, boldness. John comes to this writing like nothing doubting, uh, and, and he's laying it out, and he's being really clear, and he's pointing his church forward. It's a great book for us to get into. So let's do that today as we come to this. Jesus being who he claimed to be makes the following words more profound than I think, certainly more than I grasped, and I expect more than you grasp. This is where um, we ended this morning in our 8.30 service and in our reading. Here we go. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this. He, that being Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for us, but for everyone who's ever breathed a breath. Now, if you're a seasoned Christian in your room, you could be going, well, Darren, I know that. Well, stay with me. I'm going to bring you to something to take and live with. And maybe you're here this morning, you go, I don't even know if I believe that. Well, that's all right. I'm going to give you a step forward too. Wherever we're up to today, we're going to look at this passage because, you know, this is, this is a significant passage, a significant statement, not just in the context of the Bible, but in the context of history and future and eternity and humanity. Jesus, if he is who he claims to be, and we believe obviously that he is, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Let me ask you this question. When you think about the crazy time that we live in, it's crazy. We are about as protected from craziness on the earth as it gets. I feel like we're like the country who got a mild, you know when you get a flu shot for going overseas? I feel like we're the country that gets the flu shot, while the rest of the world is somewhere between flu, pneumonia, and near death. The world is out of control. I don't know what your thoughts are on American politics, but if I was an American, I wouldn't be feeling good about Joe Biden or Donald Trump. If I could pick one person right now in the history of the world to lead the world through its current chaos, all the people who've ever lived, all the names of history, who would it be? Wouldn't it be Jesus? I mean, even if you don't believe in Jesus, if you read about Jesus, he'd be on your short list. But if you know anything about Jesus, you would go, Jesus, hey, come and take charge. Sort, can you sort this out? And of course he could. But the reality is Jesus did come to do that. He did come to sort the world out. And when he came, he decided to start not with the political climate, not with the issue of... of the day, but he came and he started with the issue of sin because he knew if he could set that right in the human heart, he could set things up with a godly future. And so he comes. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not just ours, but for the whole world. And so today I want us to, we're going to think about four things in 25 minutes and 30 seconds. Number one, how significant this statement is or how significant is it? Number two, how we right size this in in our lives. Number three, where am I personally at in response to this statement? I mean, its place and its purpose in my life, where am I at? And number four, what am I going to do next with it? What will I do next with what we read here? 1 John 2.2, 2, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the whole world. So let's go straight to it. Number one, how significant this statement is in the death and 
and, and, and death of Jesus at the cross of Calvary, a Roman cross, Jesus, of course, takes on the sins of humanity. That is the Christian um, um, claim and position, is that Jesus, with his death in human form, takes on all the sins of humanity. And in the moment a person recognizes that, acknowledges that, responds to that, believes that Jesus died for their sins, accepts Jesus as Lord of all, in that moment, everything shifts. And with that statement, there is hope for all humanity. I mean, what's the, what's the human alternative that someone might come up with? At the cross, with his death, God satisfies the justice of a holy God. And at the cross, with his death, God extends mercy, the mercy of a gracious God to all humanity, to you and to me. The cross is definitely, it's God's great exchange, him for us. It's um, God at the center of everything. It's him being forsaken so that we would be forgiven. It's him being punished so that we could have peace. It's him dying in this life so that we could live in the next. It's, it's him being um, separated, Jesus being separated from the Father so that we might be reconciled to him. It's Jesus being rejected so that we could be included. And it's Jesus suffering that we might know blessing. It's, it's his rejection for our inclusion and so much more than that. This is Jesus. The statement is big. And so the question is this for you. How, how significant is it that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins? How deep does that run in me and, and in you? Number one. Number two, how do we right-size that kind of thing in our lives? Let me, let me ask you this question. Have you right-sized it? Um, good news if you answered, no, I haven't. You, if you answered, yes, I have, we're probably not there yet. But, but if, we've, if we've answered, no, I haven't, I haven't right-sized this yet, Darren, of course not. We're, we're in a good place where we can do some, you know, resizing today about this and its place and purpose in our life. Because I think for all of us, um, there's an adjustment to make wherever we're up to. Um, I don't know about you, I like planes. I used to be terrified of planes. Some of you would have heard the story um, where at one time when I f hadn't flown many times in my life at all um, at that stage and I was going on a flight so I wrote Bron and my three kids letters in case the plane crashed and I hid them in the drawer and I thought, well, if, I don't, if it doesn't crash when I get home, I'll take them out and throw them out before anyone sees them so that I'm not embarrassed. And so obviously the plane didn't crash, good news, and I made it home, but I forgot they were in the bottom of my drawer. And so Brian eventually found them before I remembered and as a result read those letters to me and the children. It was pretty... But these days I've flown lots of times and, and I like flying, I like planes. And, and one of the things, you get lots of work done, but one of the great things about planes is they give you great perspective. You, know, you can be on the tarmac in Tamworth about to leave and all sorts of things going on in your life. And the next thing you know, you're ascending and you're at 14,000 feet. And it's amazing. I'll look out the window sometimes and I'll, and, 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 and I'll just be reminded that what's going on in my life, though it's big, it's not that big. And it just gets a little bit of right sizing. And, and, and I'll do it, sometimes I'll do it with um, the lookout, you know. I'll, I'll just go, my, my head's just playing tricks on me. I just, and I'll drive to the lookout here in Tamworth and I'll, climb down into this part in the, the bush there on my own. I hope no one ever discovers me there. It'll look mighty weird. Who is that guy? What is he doing here? Anyway, 
and I sit in this spot and, and I look out over Tamworth and what it does, it helps me just right-size things. Suddenly, instead of my little world being the whole world, I'm up above, uh, you know, an entire community. And what's going on in my life, that kind of thing is repeated in lots of lives, thousands of lives all over the community, people with much harder lives than me, people who earn more money than me, people who are, you know, whatever, this and that and all kinds of things. And, and it helps me just get some perspective and, and I'll look and try and find our two buildings and, and that helps me because if I stand here, I go, wow, it's incredible what God's done. But if I sit there, it's like, where are they again? Oh, there they are. And it right sizes things. And so what about this in your life? Here's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Have you right-sized that in your life? Because this is as big as it gets, this side of eternity. Number three, where am I personally at in response to this? This message that Jesus, of what he has done and that he left his church, where where are you at? Um, uh, Has anyone heard of Bob Goff in the room? I know that um, some of you have. Bob Goff, I'm like, Bob Goff is the closest thing to Jesus I've encountered in the last few years. The guy is just full of love. And um, uh, like the guy on the ad, he's that guy. He signed up for love. Uh, he's, a, he's a Christian guy who's written a, a series of books. But uh, to give you an idea of Bob Goff, he was a lawyer for 25 years. And he owned this big law firm, uh, you know, top story of big building and, you know, corner office and all the rest of it. And he walks into his office one day after 25 years gathers his team and says, hey, guys, I want you to know I'm out of here. I'm done. And uh, uh, you, the business is yours. No exchange of money, just exchange of contracts. And he hands his very, very um, wealthy business over to another person like that. Bob Goff has taken what he's earned and um, uh, educated young girls in places like Afghanistan where, you, you know, they can't be educated. They set up schools, they create... Um, things so that they can ultimately learn and be liberated. He, he goes into places like Nigeria and frees people. He's worked with um, the governments of nations and all of that since this kind of thing. The guy is remarkable. He writes a book and puts his mobile number in the back of it. Like, who does that? He gets 100 calls a day. Would that do your head in? That would do my head in. 100 calls a day from people who have read his book and want to have a chat with Bob. Incredible guy. He says this. He says, when you think about where you're at, think biography, not geography. I like that. I like that in terms of a whole lot of things, and I'm sure that'll become a series of some kind. But, but I, I just want to think of it this morning in terms of this little um, passage of the Bible. Think of it in terms of biography, not geography. Where, where, where are you at in relation to this message that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins? What would the heading of the current chapter read? What would it read for you? What would it be? Can you think of those words? Just take a moment. How you would write the current chapter as it relates to this idea that Jesus is the one who is the atonement for our sins. Would it read changed and changing? Would that be the title of the chapter? Um, uh, would, it, would it read, I'm not there yet? What would the, what would the chapter read? Uh, for some of us, it might even read, you know, I'm off track. Um, or I'm back, that would be good. Um, where, whatever it is, what would the chapter read for you? Where, where are you at? Where am I at in relation to this? And so 1 John sort of gives us some um, insights into some 
places where people find themselves. Let's go to them. 1 John, I think it's chapter 1, verse 6 it might be. Um, should come on the screen. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. In my Bible it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him being God, yet walk in darkness, um, we lie and do not practice the truth. And, and so John, uh, John, or the writer of John, is writing and saying, hey, you know, there, there's a person who believes one way and behaves another, and I want you to know they're in trouble. He's like straight down the line, shooting straight, going, hey, you can't believe in Jesus, live like the devil, and be all right with God. He's just laying it on the line. He's going, there's a kind of people who believe one way, behave another, I want you to know that it's a lie, they're not in the light. And then he talks to another group of people. I think it's verse 9. He says, if we say that we have fellowship, uh, no, if we... If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, and, and so there's a group of people who they're not there. They're not there yet or they're not there by their own confession going there anytime soon. They're just not there. They're going, Jesus died for my sin. Who cares? I don't think I need a saviour. I don't think sin is an issue. And so there are people that are there and there are people there. That's just where they're at. God is drawing all of them. God's trying to get all of our attention. And then there are people that the Bible talks about um, uh, here, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, and it says this, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from our sins. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. And there, so there are a third group of people who are lovers of the light. It, it, it's not that they're not without struggle. I, I, in my own life, I want to walk as the Bible kind of says here, I want to walk in God's way, walk in the light. And, but it's not without struggle. I'm sure your life is the same. But, but, but again, it's just it's, it's locating where am I at as it relates to this. Because those who are walking in the light are those who have been changed by the message and by what Jesus has done. I love this. Listen to this from Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed. Fortunate, prospered, and favoured by God. Now that, that's got my attention. Is the man, the woman, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, following their advice and example, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers, ridiculers. But his, her delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he, his precepts and teachings, he habitually meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree, firmly planted, and fed by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers and comes to maturity. Here the Bible talks about the kind of person who's walking in the light. It's a life that is lived moving to the beat of a different drum. It has a different rhythm. It has a different way of living, a different perspective. It's in the light. And what I love about living in the light, before we go to point number four, is that, you know, for 21 years of my life at least, my life was one of God drawing me, God trying to rally me, God getting my attention. And then from 21 on, because you step out of what the Bible calls darkness into light as we put our trust in the one who has made atonement for us, Jesus, your life shifts from being drawn by being wooed to God being able to lead us. And that is an incredible place to come to where my life goes from being drawn to now being led by the Spirit of God. That's what he wants to go on in our life. So where am I up to? Have I, how significant is the atonement of Jesus? 
Um, have I right-sized it? How can I better right-size it? And where am I up to personally? And then number four today, I, I want to spend just a few minutes on this and really speak to the room if you're already a believer. I want to speak to you about number four today. What will you do next? What will you do with the next season of your life as it relates to this passage? Because Jesus didn't only say that he's the atonement for our sins. He said he's the atonement for the sins of the world. Everybody around us. My family, yours, my friends, yours, your enemies, mine. He's even the friend of Queenslanders. He's a friend of Queenslanders. He's a friend of Melbourne supporters. God loves everybody, even the wicked. Right? But he especially loves you if you come from New South Wales. He especially loves country people more than city people. He does. He especially loves those of us who follow appropriate sporting teams, vote for the right political parties, all those kinds of things. Not really. Not really. But he loves humanity, he loves people, he loves them dearly. So what are we going to do next with this idea of he died for the sins of the whole world if you're a believer today? I just want to give you four ways to move you forward in terms of being a person who is on mission with his message. Let's be those people. Number one, number one is really easy. Don't live ugly. Don't live ugly. Now, I was telling the guys in the 8.30 service, I originally wrote that down, live attractively, because I want to say it positively. But I don't know that I'll get your attention, so I'll I'll put don't live ugly. And, And the Bible's got a lot to say about believers not living ugly. There should be something about our lives that's attractive to an outsider. We bought a, so we own a, um, I drive an old Prado and that was given to us and Bron drives a new, uh, or newish, it's not that new now, a VW van. And the van's good, but when we went to buy the van, I was on the way, I wanted to buy a Prado, it was the first time in our life we could afford something like that. And I had two appointments booked in. I had the appointment for the VW van which I was doing because it was a friend of mine and I had the appointment for the Prado because it was time that I bought the car that I wanted that we could afford because we had a large deposit. And so I'm on my way. And so I go to the VW place just to do the right thing and I get out. Lockie came with me. Lockie jumps in the back of the van and it's huge back there. And as I get, to drive, get ready to drive off, Lockie says, Dad, please tell me that we are buying this car. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been in one. At last, it's one of those attractional pieces that you know you're not going to ever use. It's got a table for the back area. Well, who's going to use a table while you're driving around in a car? But it's in there, and you just take it out, and it sits in your garage for the next five years until you sell it. And, um, but anyway, and so I got in that car, and here's my son who does lots of kilometres because of his parents. I drive down to the roundabout. I drive back, and I said, we'll take the car. I didn't go drive the other one. But here's what the salesperson, good friend of ours, James Pearson, said. He said, Darren, if you can get over walking towards it, you will love it once you get in it. Now, he's a car enthusiast, so it was a deal for him. It wasn't that big a deal for me. But, but I, I like the thought that he knows that there's a whole lot of people who he has to remind that if you can get past walking to it, it's ugly, you're going to love it when you get in it. And I think there's a whole lot of people whose challenge is that they've got to get past the ugly 
But if they can get past it, they're going to love Jesus. In fact, I think in many cases they're going to love his church too. Because I've found that his church, when, when you determine that you are going to be part, you know, no one can care if they don't know. But if, if, if we connect ourselves into his church, I think they'll love his church too. I've found his church to be wonderful people. There's some exceptions like Frank, but as a general rule. <laughs> Actually, that raises a good point. My, my daughter said to me recently, uh, no, a while ago actually, she said, Dad, sarcasm, it doesn't suit you. And I thought, that's so true. Like, if I'm sarcastic, like, then I felt bad immediately. I felt bad. Like, the moment I said it, I felt bad to Frank. And I went, oh, yeah. When he stood up, I went, no, that's okay. We're good. But, but sarcasm is just, for me, I, I just feel ugly. And um, Christians, as a rule, you know, the Bible encourages us in Titus chapter 2 and verse 10, reminds us that we should live our faith in a way that's so attractive that it, people are pointed to God. That's how your faith should be lived. That's how my faith should be lived. And we want to live that kind of faith. Um, so we, we don't want to live ugly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. I love these verses. You're the light of the world. I mean, is Jesus playing around with words or does he mean what he says? He says, hey, you're the light of the world. You're like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket, though in our house we've lit candles and put them in places that have been detrimental, um, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I love this. It doesn't even put pressure on us. It just says, hey, live in such a way that your life is attractive. Live in such a way that your light shines before people, that your light, that your life stands out in a powerful and a profound way that points people to Jesus, that they would think about God. Ugly living um, isn't, it doesn't suit Jesus' followers. Ugly living is just not helpful. You know, when I think about ugly living, I think about things like stingy living, stingy Words, stingy thinking, stingy living. It's just ugly. Where the Bible talks about generous words, generous thinking, generous living. What a contrast, stingy and generous. Um, I think that those kinds of things. And refusing to be judgy. The Bible says that we've got no right to judge anybody outside the church. It does say there are some things that we should judge each other around within the church, but not in a bad way, in a way that is love. But outside the church, it says, hey, it's not your business. Don't concern yourself with it. People outside the church, it says, they, they, their eyes are blind to the truth that you know. So don't waste your time with that. Go and love them. Talk to them about Jesus. Come be a blessing, all those kinds of things. And so I just think, not judgy, but gracious. Gracious thinking, gracious words, gracious living, um, and, and just refusing to live self-interested. I think one of the challenges that COVID is going to present for all humanity and the church is that we become more self-interested in our lives. Um, we heard from... Kerry Newhoff, last week we were in this session, a few of us, and, and he said, COVID has accelerated what was already coming. So true. And one of the things that I think COVID has accelerated that was already coming was that we live in a selfish church age. And so it's possible to emerge as a believer from COVID and go, you know what, I'm just going to just pull my world in. I'm just going to pull a little bit tighter. Now, I'm all for family. I'm all for that. I've loved family in this season. We've made changes for the next season. But what I don't want to do is become self-absorbed, self-interested, 
thinking about me, looking after me, myself, and mine to the exclusion of a world that needs the atonement that Jesus has brought for them, uh, for all humanity, for all eternity. And so just being the kind of people that wouldn't be like that, but instead of choosing others orientated in our thinking, in our words, in our living, number one. Number two, extravagant good. Just do extravagant good. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church, uh, which today is us. All kinds of churches, but we won't go there. He said this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. I think I might have written that last line down wrong, but the rest of it is absolutely on the money. He says, Hey, just live extravagantly as you go about doing good. And he certainly did. What a way to live, just extravagant good, exceeding expectations. You know, if you lack restraint, do you lack restraint on anything? I went out to get some water um, before I spoke and in the, in, the, um, car, in the case there with the food was a Malteser chocolate slice. If you have never had one, they are unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. If you are on a diet, the moment to lose restraint is to eat that chocolate slice and that Malteser. That would be the right time to practice a lack of restraint. And I nearly did. It was only that I heard where Bron's voice was up to in terms of that, you know, that clip that I stopped and went, no, Darren, not now. If you're going to have a lack of restraint, let me suggest that be around extravagant good. Either we'd be the kind of people. See, there, there are lots of people who do good. There are lots of people. There are lots of people who helped out with the fires and drought and all that. But, but extravagant good, extravagant good. Oh, we, we, I think we live in a time when the world is unkinder than any time I've lived. But what a time for the church to exude kindness. What a time. I love what Linnea spoke about before and all of the people who generously gave for us to go to all those people in some small way. But in your life and mine, if I'm going to really have an impact on the one who brings atonement, just extravagant good, here are just a few reasons. Number one, acceptable good can still be about us. But extravagant good can't. It costs too much. If, 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 if I do good because, for example, I give someone some time because they need it, I can do that and do it just because I feel better about myself. But extravagant good, where now it's cutting into my preferences. Wow, that's different. That's, that's good that step beyond what is normal, what anybody can do, into the place of extravagant. I think, number one. Number two, we're called to this. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do before we had breathed a breath or, you know, stepped on the planet, before that baby we heard about this morning was born in a 30-minute labor. How does that incredible thing happen? Before that happened, God already had a plan for that child to do good works on the earth in her life at this time. Incredible. And God's done that for you and for me. Good works alleviate and they elevate people. Oh, if we're going to be extravagant at something, let's be extravagant at that. And of course, it's not so we get to heaven, but it is so someone else might. It really is. Extravagant good. Number three. Number three is this. Just seed something. I'll put in brackets with harvest potential in a person's soul. Seed something. Um, I met this guy on holidays a few years ago. He was a retired businessman. And he'd started a bee farm. And he kept encouraging us and some of our friends to take our then little kids to this bee farm. 
And it was great you went to it. And, and the reason he'd done it, he loves bees, he loves people, he's not making any money out of it. But the other reason he loves it is that he gets to talk about creation and design. And you walk around his farm and there's quotes by, you know, Gandhi and whoever and whatever. But sprinkled amongst them is Jesus, the Apostle Paul, the book of Proverbs. This guy is doing something more than teaching people about bees. He's got a very clear purpose. He's going to bless people with his bee farm, but he's on mission with the message of Jesus. And he's just seeding something for a future harvest that he knows is going to come in people's lives. And then the fourth thought, the final thought today is this, just to raise the level of risk. I'm a follower of Jesus as it relates to the message of Jesus, to raise the level of risk in my own life. Uh, This thought comes out of what I want to do next. Let's go, I want to raise the level of risk. I'm I'm too safe. I, I know, I, you know, you, after what you can tell the settings, I'm, I'm just a bit too safe. I'm a pastor, so people find out what I do in a hurry. And I'm happy to invite people to church and all of that and say, hey, you should come and all of that. Point them to our website. All of those things. Very easy because of my job. But the gospel for me, the clearly articulated gospel of Jesus, I'm like, I'm not taking enough risks here. And I need to take risks because of what's at stake. I need to take risks for people's lives. Man, this is the significant message on the face of the planet and I want to make sure that I take risks. What about you? How do you take a risk? Maybe it's posting something. You know, if you're going to shine, maybe it's just posting shine. I cannot believe this was an amazing event. I'll write the script for you if you like. Um, No, just post something. What's the next conversation? There's some people that we have such incredible credibility with that there's a natural next conversation if I can just get over whatever holds me back fear worry them and just step in to the next conversation here's a last thought on that it's this don't say people's no for them I remember reading that line somewhere a bunch of years ago and I just thought oh I'm gonna start living like that I'm gonna stop saying people's no for them it's amazing as I started to filter how many people's no's I said like around asking people to give to Rise and Build offering. Um, I remember one year I asked people to double it if they could. And I remember going, oh, that's big. Do you know, we more than doubled what we did. In my mind, I'd said, no, we can't do that. And there's not a rally for offering, by the way. We haven't got one coming up. I'm just saying that, that if, I'd set, if I'd answered the question what I thought, I would have not said it. I would have just said no. People that are on teams and got all sorts of things going on and just over the years where I, was, I would have been tempted to say no and go, just ask the question, don't say they're no for them. If, 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 if you just step into that next, I think that would be incredibly helpful for us. So let me wrap as we come today. I hope, um, I hope that you will continue to right-side the message of Jesus' atonement in, in your own life. And I pray that we would be those who would really live on mission with his message. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why don't you close your eyes? We're going to pray and then we're going to um, baptize a couple of people today. Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody here, everybody online. And God, we thank you that Jesus is the one who makes atonement for us. He's the one who brings peace between you and us. He's the one who secures eternity for us. We thank you for that and way more beyond. And today, God, um, for those who maybe are not there yet today, I pray that you would continue to help them see 
to say, check out the claims of Jesus. They might come to the place where they they trust in who he is and what he's done, all he's promised. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are people of faith already put our trust in Jesus. I just pray you continue to right-size, Lord, your mission in our lives and continue to strengthen everybody with an ever-increasing boldness. But we might be those who not only know, Lord, atonement for ourselves, but would take the message to the world for whom you died. In Jesus' name. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.